You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. This is Sacks in the Basement. 30 minutes of Sacks for fans, by fans, coming out of a one-in-three four-game series against the New York Yankees that has some White Sox fans lighting their hair on fire. Don't do that. Do not flood the basement either. Call Family Waterproofing Solutions. You heard the ad at the beginning of the show. Uh, you got any foundation issues, cracks, you got water coming in, you get some rain, you're like, what is that? Is there a puddle forming in the back of the basement? Go call them before it gets worse. Mention socks in the basement. You get money off. Family-owned, veteran-owned, and operated since they started in 2013 and named the last time there was an opportunity to be named the South Town's Best by the Daily South Town. Check them out at FamilyDry.com. Call them 24-7 at 708-330-4466 and see what a difference a family makes. Are you lighting your hair on fire, flooding the basement, kicking the dog after this weekend, or are you are you rational still? Well, I would definitely never kick the dog over it. And if I did light my hair on fire, I think flooding the basement would be a slight overreaction to putting my hair back out. But it is an opportunity to, you know, I guess give Family Waterproofing Solutions some business and give myself a haircut at the same time. So, you know, you've got to find the silver linings in the bad is what I'm trying to say there. Right. And when I say kick the dog, it's a phrase. If, if you ever kick your dog, kick yourself. You're a horrible human being. Okay. I just want to get that out exactly. there before I start trending on Twitter. The Yankees are a better team right now. They're, they're just better. If you had to play them in a seven game series, they'd kick our ass. And the same thing would happen with uh, if you played the Astros right now in a seven game series. But if you go back and look at what the standings were, at this time last year, this many games in, the Astros were like a 500 team and the White Sox were really good. And that didn't make a difference when we got to them in the postseason, did it? It's early. I, I'm not excusing what's going on. I kind of want to take a look today at, at what some of the reasons may be for what's going on with the White Sox early on and see how fixable it is. Because listen, they're only a couple games off the pace as to where they were a year ago. A year ago, they, I think it's only like a two-game difference. Maybe a three game at this point. It's not that they weren't that high over 500 at this point in the year. I'm not raising the alarm. I'm not sounding the bells. I'm I'm still not backing off of my feeling that they will be a first place team by the all-star break. I still believe that that is what is going to happen. But let's, let's establish a couple of truths today before we really dive into a look at the stats on this team. And if you don't agree with this stuff, I want you to jump in, my friend. But I believe there are certain certain truths that you cannot argue. Like, you cannot argue that the best three outfielders currently on the 26-man roster are Luis Robert, Adam Engel, and A.J. Pollock. All of them at some point in their careers, a center fielder. You got three center fielders in the outfield. Defensively, those are your best three. I would also establish that it's pretty irrefutable, undisputable, that when Yuan Moncada's playing third and Josh Harrison's playing second, TA's in the middle, it's short. Right there, that's your best infield defensive alignment. And finally, I will say, clear as a bell before we start this, the manager does not hit, does not field, cannot actually play the game. They can make a positive impact on the game. They can make a negative impact on the game. And that goes all the way from when they 
put their lineup together, and then in-game decisions. And we talked about it on a previous show. Tony LaRussa, one of the few managers, when you look across all of baseball's history, that actually had a real impact on his teams when he made decisions. So before we get into it, does any of that not make sense to you? No, not defensively. you You can talk about Engel and Pollock and their struggles at the plate and whether or not Vaughn might be a better bat out there than one of those two guys. But defensively, there is absolutely zero question. Yeah, center fielders, those three center fielders playing left, center, and right in some fashion give you the best opportunity to not have balls hit the ground out there. You might be able to make an argument that Harrison is also up there with Moncada as a third baseman, but I would say that, you know, you're right. Based on the eye test and, and without digging into some deep metrics, because there's always a way that you can spin those numbers, but Harrison makes more plays than Garcia does. He is smoother in the field than Garcia is. Moncada is a really good third baseman. I know there was a couple of moments right after he came up where he's a little shaky, but that's going to happen. But Anderson's defense, when he doesn't have to try and do too much, I think that's where Tim Anderson's defense falls apart, really, is mentally for him. When he's trying to win every game by himself in every at-bat and with every ball he fields, where he's trying to get three outs with one throw, and he ends up rushing his throws, throwing the ball away, trying to, you know, a ball he should put in his pocket, maybe tries to do something with. But yeah, the more you can surround a guy like T.A. with with guys that he feels comfortable, can get to a ball, uh, can get to second base so he can turn two on him, or he doesn't have to go all the way deep into the hole because he feels like his third baseman's going to come over and be able to cut that off, I, I, I think that's that's a truth that that fans need to accept that it is, it should be defensively Moncada, Anderson, Harrison, and then I would say Abreu is probably still your best first baseman. I, I don't know that I've seen enough of either Vaughn or Sheets there to put him, put them over what Jose does. All right, so we've established some truths. We've established the baseline here. Let's take a look at plate appearances. You can you can say games that a guy has played in, but sometimes a guy comes in later on in the game, right? Some guys are defensive replacements. Some guys get defensively replaced. That That's how it goes. But plate appearances is going to give an indication, first of all, is the guy getting played higher in the lineup? Is he getting priority over other hitters? And how many times does he get a chance to get up there and make an offensive contribution? So if I look at plate appearances, I think that we get a really good picture of how players are being used currently in the White Sox offense. The leader in all plate appearances, I think you'd be you'd be shocked if people didn't notice right off the top of their head, is Jose Abreu at 136. He's ahead of Tim Anderson at 125, who's in second place. The difference is that Jose Abreu plays in every game. He plays in every game up towards the top of the order. He's hitting under 200 right now as we sit here at 197 with an OPS of 584. And he's always in the three or four spot and he's always in the lineup. All right. But he has the most plate appearances on this team. He's had more opportunities to contribute to run scoring than any other player on this team. Now, as I said, Tim Anderson right behind him, 125 plate appearances. He's hitting 336 as we sit here with an 872 OPS. That's spectacular. As I move down the list and just try to find the guys that are right up at the top that get the greatest chance to contribute to this team offensively, the next guy on this list is Yasmani Grandal. Now, Yasmani Grandal has 115 plate appearances, and he's only hitting 165 with a 503 OPS. The guy right after him, the fourth person on that list, even after injury, Luis Robert with 108 plate appearances 
304 with a 794 OPS, and he's been tearing it up over the since he got back. I think he's hitting over 400 since he got back from that injury. He's been absolutely incredible. Those four guys are really the core four guys who have gotten the most plate appearances. There is a drop-off after that, okay? I mean, you, you drop almost 30 plate appearances before you get to the next player. There's a big drop-off because everybody else is getting mixed and matched and there's been injuries. I would contend Andrew Vaughn with 68 plate appearances but with an injury hitting 262 with an 846 OPS and Yoan Moncada with only 24 plate appearances hitting 286 with a 946 OPS are also two more guys I could add to those four that are regular ball players at this point. If they're not being used regularly, Tony LaRusa should be fired. Okay, either they're being used regularly because that's what you have them there for, or they are being used regularly because they've earned being there. Have I said something at this point that just shocks you or are you in line with me? I would say, you know, and and if you're talking about that group, too, you think about it. Abreu, Anderson, Grandal, Robert, Vaughn and Moncada going into the season, knowing nothing else about this team. You expected those guys to be at the top of your list of offensive talent, right? Yeah. I mean, like, look. When I look at those six guys, I go, okay, here are six players clearly should be or are in your core that you're depending on, and two of them are off the terrible starts. I think that's one of the first points I'm trying to make here. If you if you really oh, yeah. want to get to the core of things, forget the guys that bat at the bottom of your order. I just found six guys who are getting a lion's share of plate appearances or are performing at a high level and have earned a lion's share of plate appearances moving forward. And of those six guys, two of them are vastly underperforming. Okay. Jose Abreu is the biggest issue. He's playing every day. He's in the three or four spot. He doesn't deserve to be there right now. Right now, Jose Abreu is essentially a guy that's there because you're expecting him to eventually break out. And he's got that respect factor of, well, you can't drop him down the lineup. He's Jose Abreu. But that is an issue. That is something that has to be having a negative impact on how many runs your team is scoring. He's getting more plate appearances than any other player on the team to date, and he's hitting under 200. That right there, you can't tell me that that doesn't have an effect, all right? And I'm not saying that the White Sox should have expected him to have this, like, oh, it was wrong to bat him in the three and four spot to start the year, but it does explain an awful lot more than, like, when I hear people bicker, like, well, it should be Harrison or it should be Garcia. Like, I don't know, I don't know if it matters as much who your second baseman is batting towards the bottom of the order as much as it matters that you have guys like Abreu and Grandal not performing in any way whatsoever. And then the Grandal thing is also really interesting. You can split off of that, okay? Now let's just take a look at him. Yasmani Grandal has a lot of plate appearances, but Reese McGuire has been behind the plate more than Yasmati Grandal to date. Socks in the basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. 
and they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Reese McGuire 18 times catching this year. Okay, now one of them he left with like two innings ago, and one of them he came in towards the end. So let's just say it's 17 complete full games behind the plate. Grandal's at 16. 16 appearances, too. Because a couple of times, like one time he comes in this past weekend, he came in only for like one inning, and he's come out early in about three or four games this year. But Yasmani Grandal has actually played less behind the plate than Reese McGuire. And I know the first thing is going to be, well, look, he's still getting a ton of plate appearances. And he's still, you know, doing terribly. I understand that. But when, when you move Yasmani Grandal into the DH spot and you bring in Reese McGuire, you have downgraded your offense because now you have two guys that are hitting about a buck 50. You've got Reese McGuire and then you have your struggling star that you're trying to get going. And that's the issue. There's so much trying to save Grandal that you're, you're inserting a guy into your lineup or Reese McGuire who's just a black hole in your lineup. And that's another thing that is stark to me when I look at it. If you had to look at this team right now and you said, whichever guy has started a catcher more is the starting catcher, Reese McGuire is the starting catcher for the 2022 White Sox as of today. Are you shocked by that? I am, because it's 154 innings for Reese McGuire to 142 for Yasmani Grandal. Thank you. That's that's how many innings they've had behind the plate. And I've been looking at the White Sox defense. The good thing is is that uh, Reese McGuire is, in terms of runs saved, He's a positive. Yasmani Grandal is a negative right now. Now, career-wise, I'm sure Yaz will catch up to what he normally is. But Reese McGuire's been good behind the plate. Not not great. I wouldn't say he's been stellar, but he's been really good behind the plate, which is which is a plus, I suppose. Is he good enough to have an OPS plus of negative three? When 100 is the league average or an OPS of 0.322, is he that good defensively that he makes up for that? That's the problem is, is that his defense cannot make up for a 140 batting average, a 322 OPS, a negative three OPS plus nine total bases. Yeah. Nine total brutal. bases in 64 plate appearances. I could do that. Nine total bases in 64 plate appearances. Listen, and here's the thing. And here's the thing that really gets me with this. When you have two catchers in the lineup, both of which are struggling right now at the plate, but even when you have them performing, let's say, what they normally do, generally catchers are not as good at the dish when you look at them at the, in the scope of every position in Major League Baseball. For example, and I'm going to pull in fantasy baseball here because it's such a it, it illustrates the point perfectly. Sure. Any year I want to, I can look at stats at the end of the year in my fantasy baseball league. And where you're scoring points based upon essentially your OPS. You get more points if the guy slugs more. Uh, guys get on base, you get points. Guys strike out, you lose points. Guys walk, you get points. But essentially, the absolute best players across all categories are the best players in fantasy baseball. That's why it works the way that it works. If I take the top 30 hitters in Major League Baseball, I'd be shocked if one of them was a catcher. If I took the ninth hitter on a team across every team in Major League Baseball, the person that ends up being the DH, they don't have a position on the field, but they're the next best hitter available. And some of them, DHs, are the best hitter on your team. They just don't play a position, but they're spectacular hitters. 
If I took all those players and I put them in a list, Yasmani Grandal, even when he's performing at his at his norm, when he's when he's hitting the ball well and you're happy with him, would be hard pressed to rank anywhere except for maybe the bottom third of that. And and likely he wouldn't even be on the list because generally catchers just don't produce as much at the plate. Average wise, slugging wise, they just they just don't. Putting two catchers in, the moment you start using both catchers here, you're actually putting a lesser hitter in the DH spot than if you were to just go out and get a professional hitter and put that professional hitter in the DH spot. Now, we're struggling all over the place, but this is a detriment to the team to have two guys who are struggling, who both sit behind the plate and have them both in the lineup at the exact same time. This is is a detriment to the team. This does not help your offense. This is a lesser hitter being put in the DH role. Like, of course, I want Yasmani Grandal in the DH role to, to keep his bat in the lineup when he's hot. But if he's not hot and you still want to get him at bats, make him catch and put McGuire on the bench where he belongs. Instead, you have two guys struggling here and you could be you could be getting another professional hitter in there hitting. If you have Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets, if you have this current 26-man lineup right now, who would you rather see in the lineup, Reese McGuire or Gavin Sheets? Reese McGuire or Andrew Vaughn. And, and that's why Osmani Grandal should be behind the plate most of the time. And when he needs a break, if he's struggling, then give him the whole day off. Because two catchers in the lineup right now, both of which that are hitting a buck 50, is a big reason why your team can't score more than four runs a game. And of course, I say that knowing he hits a rocket out on Monday night against the Royals. Then again, Reese McGuire wasn't in the lineup and Gavin Sheets was coming up behind him instead of McGuire. And that's just one game. The overall point still stands. There's literally one team in the majors that's kind of pulling that off right now. The two catchers in the lineup. And it's the Arizona Diamondbacks. But that's because Dalton Varsho, who is a catcher by trade, has become their best center fielder as well. So he's a rarity. You're talking about a guy who is really an outfielder who can squat behind the plate and has been serving as a backup catcher. Reese McGuire is not Dalton Varsho. Reese McGuire is not whoever might be catching on a day that Salvatore Perez of the Royals DHs. That's another team that kind of has that. But what do they do with Sal? Sal sits behind the plate most of the time, and when he needs a break, when his legs need a break, they put their backup catcher in, they'll DH Sal, that's fine. If he's going hot, they'll keep his bat in the lineup. You can do that with Yasmani Grandal to a certain degree if he's going well. But to your point, if he's not going well, Pick a guy like Gavin Sheets who is not hitting great. I mean, 232 with a 699 OPS isn't great, but he's started to come around. He started to hit home runs. Compared to those guys, he's 80 points higher with his batting average and like 200 points higher than Reese McGuire with his OPS. So, I, you know, look, I you could sit there and say, well, Gavin Sheets is only hitting 230. I take 230 from either one of those guys that you're putting in the lineup, especially when you have McGuire and Grandal in the lineup at the same time. More to the point, total bases on on. on Gavin Sheets, 34 total bases. This this just gives you an idea. This is how many, uh, you know, between singles, doubles, home runs, triples, how many how many bases has he accounted for? He's got 34. Reese McGuire, once again, has nine. That is That should tell you all you need to know about how well Gavin Sheets hits the ball versus Reese McGuire. Right. So the question becomes, at 232, would you rather have Gavin Sheets up there with a chance, a realistic chance to hit a double or a homer? Versus Reese McGuire, who maybe has a realistic chance of hoping that the ball gets over the infielder, apparently, <laughs> for a single, because that's all he's been able to muster. He's been able to muster eight singles and a double right. in his plate appearances. Listen, it doesn't make any sense. It's a real flaw. 
Uh, Jose Abreu, he need, they, they need to sit him down for like two games. And if this continues, he's not assured of the three or four spot because it does make a difference when there isn't protection for your other good hitters. OK, because there's a hole and everybody just can't wait to get to him in the order so they can pitch around the guy in front of him. All right. I, I watched the game against the Yankees here towards the end of this series where I watched them basically just pitch around. Who was it up there? It was Robert was up there hitting the three hole. Robert comes up and everything was out of the zone. They did everything they could just to get to a Brayu towards the end of the game. I want to say it was the Sunday game. OK, it, it was like we're just we're going to throw junk at Luis Robert because we got a guy coming up here in the four spot who's terrible right now. OK, so at some point, a decision needs to be made on that. I'm not putting a fork in, in Jose Abreu and saying he's done, but I'm also saying that the guy has more plate appearances than anybody else. And he seems to be assured of the three and four spot. And maybe he shouldn't be assured of that at this point until he can start getting it going. Sure. Then again, Tony La Russa, right before the game against Kansas City on Monday, has to explain that there's such a thing as a secondary leadoff position. So he took one of his best four hitters, Andrew Vaughn, and batted him ninth. And let's be honest. He did that because he wants to put his best hitters together. We just went through them earlier in the show. Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Juan Moncada, Andrew Vaughn. But he had to go 9-1-2-3 because he can't move Abreu down. I mean, it would have been the dumbest thing that you heard before the game on Monday if Dallas Keuchel didn't come out and try to tell everybody he had a track record. And because of that track record, he should be allowed to pitch deep into games like the 7th, 8th, maybe even the ninth. Is that right, Dallas? I'm pretty sure you're just trying to get to your innings limit and make $20 million next year, right? Let's talk real quick about a place that I go to drown my sorrows when the White Sox do something stupid and lose a game. Uh, Hailstorm Brewing Company, located in Tinley Park at 8060, 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. They have a brand new, highly acclaimed brewer, Will Turner. He's been in a bunch of different breweries around Chicago, and they were able to snag him. Decades of experience and excellence. He's at Hailstorm Brewing now, tweaking their classic styles and innovating new beers of his own. They have a huge tap room, outdoor patio, fire pit for the chilly evenings, live music on the weekend, trivia nights. And as I mentioned, I think the last time we talked about them, Ed, they've got those big giant long, like, like beer house tables. You start making friends at that place, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. You get to sit down, whether at the bar or at those tables and just, just commiserate with people. And if you're miserable, you can find a miserable table. And if you're happy, find a happy table or try and make a happy table miserable or a miserable table happy. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, you get the opportunity. They, they make really good beer. That's the important thing is no matter what, you're drinking really good beer while you're doing it. And for the season, Strawberry Summer is out now. That is a strawberry lemon kolsch. The Primo Mexican Lagers out. The Big Beautiful Wheat is out. And they have a brand new beer coming out very soon. And it is named after the Mokina, Orland, and Tinley area. It is an American brown called Morley. I guess that's... Uh, Mokina, Orlin, and Tinley put together. I'll take it. It works for me. Okay. okay. Follow them on their Facebook page at Hailstorm Brewing Company. Uh, check out all they have to offer at hailstormbrewing.com, and we will see you out there because I, I think I'm even going to be there at some point this weekend, 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue in Tinley Park. All right. Johnny Cueto up. Excellent first start for him on Monday. They sent down Danny Mendick. Oh, I hate that move. And I hate that move. You want to know why I hate that move, Ed? I hate that move because that move is made purely on money. That move is made because a pre-arbitration player who's making $700,000 a year 
and is being sent down because he has options. When you gave out a stupid $16.5 million contract to Larry Garcia that's just begun. He's making $5.5 million a year this year, next year, and a year after that. It's stupid money. When you look at Yolbert Sanchez tearing it up in AAA, who's now blocked by a guy with a bad contract, okay, who never never demonstrated he was going to be anything different than what he has always been. I mean, yeah, he's off to a slow start, but put Larry's career numbers right next to Danny Mendix. They're the same guy. It's the same average. It's the same OPS. Like, they're within, like, two or three points of each other for their career, but one guy is making stupid money they should have never given him and is locked in now on a team where there's an owner that hates to eat bad contracts. And then you got this other guy down in AAA who could also come up and fill that role. I'll never understand that contract at all. But Danny Mendick, you're back in AAA not because of your effort. You're back in AAA because Rick Hahn gave out a stupid contract and they can't send down Larry Garcia. Well, and the other thing, too, is, is that we know what's going to have to happen here eventually is, is you're going to have to figure out Dallas Keuchel or Vince Velasquez or Johnny Cueto, right? You, you can kick that can down the road a little bit because Giolito and Lynn aren't back. But at some point, it's not a position player going down for this. Yeah, at some point you're gonna have to you're gonna have to make a decision on a pitcher. You know, but this is the way that they do things, right? Like they, they've done this now for the last couple of years. When it comes down to does a guy have an option, or will we have to DFA a guy? They will put the better player down in the minor leagues because they don't want to pull the trigger on the DFA. They, they, they don't want to lose control of the player just in case there's an injury. And also they hate giving away money. And so, you know, letting a guy loose for whatever cost, it, it looks like a failure. I think that this team, this, you know, Rick Hahn and, and, and the front office, they remind me of like when your dad gave you $20, let's say, told you to go up to the gas station, pick up a gallon of milk and something else. Like I had to go up to the Keen gas station. It'd probably be like $5 back in the eighties or 10 bucks up in the back in the eighties. And he goes, go on up and get, get a gallon of milk and bring it home. All right. And uh, I also, your mother needs such and such, and you get to keep the change, buddy. And you'd walk up the street, you know, four or five blocks, and you'd go, you'd go make the purchase, and you'd walk back, okay? But at some point, you drop change. Or let's say you lost the money on the way there, and you got to go back, and you don't want to tell your dad you lost the money. That's how the White Sox kind of make me think they act when it comes to which player we send down. We, we probably shouldn't have given this guy this contract, because it turns out this other guy uh, probably would have been better. So we're going to keep this guy who's worse on, on the roster. And it suggests to me, Ed, that they don't care about early season games, even though they count for just as much. They count for just as much. They don't care about that because a, a roster that isn't as good as what it could be is, is left up on, on the major league level because you don't want to DFA somebody. You don't want to eat bad money. You don't want to have the best 26 guys. And they, they'll instead send down a Danny Mendick 15 times a year. Well, and the thing that annoys me is, you know, you still go back to, and, and I don't care about Vince Velasquez's contract, although why it was a major league contract is, is kind of questionable, but you still go back to the Dallas Keuchel signing. And he was a consolation prize for Zach Wheeler deciding that his wife's desire to stay on the East Coast was more important than coming here for a little bit more money. Kids, don't date Instagram models. Sound <laughs> advice, it really is. I mean, you know... <laughs> They're, 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 they can be great to look at, but, uh, and I'm sure Mrs. Wheeler is a lovely person in real life. However, she, you know, she chose the East coast over money because of, uh, Instagram basically, but Dallas Keuchel was a, he was a consolation prize. And at the time there were so many red flags with him in his career that it's, it, it didn't strain anybody's brain to sit there and think, 
is it possible this guy does not live up to his contract in a couple of years? And lo and behold, here we are talking about Johnny Cueto, who, frankly, is kind of the corpse of Johnny Cueto at this point. I think he's better than Dallas Keigel, but we're not talking about prime Johnny Cueto right now. Versus a guy that you're hoping that they don't get to 160 innings because they're going to have to deal with this again next year, and there's no way they can afford to do it. it, it, it this is one of those things where... If this team never reaches the pinnacle of where it should be, that might be the one thing that you look at and go, there were so many things that fell apart because of that money and because of how this team deals with money. One guy actually may have cost them the ability to get this done. I don't believe that because I sit there and I look at a Larry Garcia contract and I go, that extra $5.5 million. Just what what could that extra $5.5 million have done? There's all these little deals that they made this year that they could have scraped together and had and had more money to go do something that they wanted to do. I, 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 and, and then they were hamstrung by the Craig Kimbrell contract. Like, they clearly couldn't make moves until they cleared that $16 million. So then it allowed free agency, in, in, in all of its glory, screwed up by, by the, the, the silly lockout, okay? But it allowed, it allowed for so many things to pass them by and decisions they had to make because they didn't know if they could clear that money that by the time they made the move, which is a good move. I mean, look, Kimbrough for Pollock, if Pollock gets it together and performs hey, and, Tony, and Tony plays him every day to allow him to get going, if, if that if that occurs, it'll end up being a good deal. But uh, you, you, I don't know, the way that you handled your money, it, Keuchel's one issue, there were more issues than Keuchel, but I get your point. Yeah, and I think some of those little deals, I think those are going to come and go with every team. You're going to have the occasional Larry Garcia deal that just doesn't work out. But I think for this team in particular, to throw what could be four years of huge dollars at Dallas Keuchel, if they are smarter with that and they don't have him massively underperforming that money, we're not as worried about it because we at least have, we're, we're not sitting here sitting wondering what we can do to replace this guy when that money could have been spent on somebody who's already performing and we're not worried about Johnny Cueto at all. Do you think the other starting pitchers get jealous of Dallas Keuchel that because he takes so much criticism from shows like this uh, and the White Sox take so much criticism from shows like this about that contract and the fact that he can't go over about 160 innings this year or wherever it's at, like that the White Sox always send out their best lineup now to try to get Keuchel to win? Have you noticed that? Like all the starters played, all of them. When was the last time you saw all guys? It was the best one through nine I think I had seen. No, I, I I do think, though, that the rest of the starters are probably actually pretty happy that there's another guy there that's a lightning rod, that we don't pay attention nearly as much as we need to to some of the other shortcomings some of the other guys have had. I could, I could have done a half hour trying to figure out why I spent four games watching the White Sox and nonstop heard Steve Stone say, you don't pitch uh, Joey Gallo uh, low. You got to keep it up high. And watching White Sox pitchers actually walk him because they were trying so hard to be at the top of the zone. And then in a moment where you had to get that out, you throw him a pitch right where I hurt for four days. You don't throw that pitch. And he hits a home run and seals that game for him. So trust me, these other pitchers are lucky. They've got Dallas Keuchel, I guess. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.